0: The 11FS office in London for episode 81 of blockchain insider the weekly show dedicated to the news of where blockchain meets crypto and crypto meets institutions this week we bring you content no uh, was bitcoin manipulated and track your cobalt on a blockchain all this and more on today's blockchain insider i'm your host simon taylor back in the hot seat joined by a distant distant colin g platt you're so close but so far how are you sir
1: I'm doing all right. I thought you were going to go with, like, distant, distant cousin or something.
0: No, no, just distant, far away, <laughs> long way I, away.
1: I'm in the EU here.
0: Uh, firmly did, planted here. All righty, Uh First story comes from... Uh, the block crypto and core Ethereum developers are pushing uh, a constant Constantinople that's really hard to say can I just point that out they're pushing their Constantinople upgrade out by six weeks um, the decision for prog proof of work has been put on hold so um, the the uh, guess uh, this has been the huge thing for a while for Ethereum. Will they ever get to this? Um, Six-week delay. Um, just recap for us, Colin. What is Constantinople and what were they trying to do with it?
1: Yeah, so we actually, um, last week, we're supposed to report on this. Um, we recorded up a really good section uh, that I think Sarah gave us a really good breakdown of what was coming in this. It was about five different EIPs or Ethereum Improvement uh, Proposals that should have taken place, and actually, let's listen to that. But one of them um, introduced a, a potential bug called a re-entrancy bug. Um, for those that have been paying attention way back when, this is similar to the attack that actually took down the DAO in 2016, where somebody was able to execute a function multiple times before the rest of the network caught up with it. Um, so that was a potential worry that things that already existed could become exploitable by that.
0: I feel for the banks who have done a million POCs on Ethereum, who found it easy to use, and then um, you've got something that's being upgraded in live, and then there are all of these uh, bugs. This is kind of the downside of working with open source software in a lot of cases when it's still so early. Like, can you put mission-critical infrastructure on this stuff? Um, Well, maybe if you're doing very basic cryptography, but uh, a lot harder when you're trying to do something that's uh, still so early.
1: Yeah, that's why it's all an experiment. But Sarah has a great explanation, and let's listen to that. Um, And I think there's some good parts in there about, actually, your very point about uh, Enterprise.
2: Constantinople is the first of three Ethereum hard forks, which will eventually lead to Serenity release, also known as Ethereum 2.0. So do you want me to go into these? Please. Yeah.
1: You don't go number by number. Just tell us what changed.
2: Um, So what changed? People like hearing numbers. Ethereum improvement protocol, which I should now call EIP. EIP EIP145. So bitwise shifting instructions, efficiency and speed, this is meant to improve. So this is quite good because bitwise shifting is actually quite an old computing uh, operation, so to speak. Uh, And it is faster than division, multiplication and sometimes addition. So bitwise shifting instructions means that you can perform operations on the uh, binary value basically of a, um, a number as opposed to its number three. Obviously it's represented differently in binary and so those quite often used for quite low level um, computing operations like device drivers, low level graphics, communications protocol packet assembly, things like that. So it's not necessarily something at the application layer, but it's something that will ultimately uh, increase, increase efficiency and speed of the Ethereum network. So it means that people won't have to do these kind of roundabout ways of doing these arithmetic or logical operations anymore. They'll be able to just use an opcode, which has a standardized pricing way of doing these low level operations. So the next one is EIP1052, smart contract verification. So this is for speed and energy. Energy meaning gas usage, of course. So this allows for smart contracts to verify one another by pulling just the hash of the other smart contracts. Um, so that's quite good. Uh, it was actually it was received really well in a, in the community. It was, it was basically called a no-brainer. So it's introducing a new opcode to make it cheaper to check contracts. Um, it's basically, uh, you can check the contract bytecode when you don't actually need the bytecode itself. You can just take a hash of the contract as well. So ne- next we have... EIP-1014, create two. So EIP-1014 was proposed by uh, Vitalik himself, and it is addition of an opcode, which allows for the enablement of state channels. So, in short, um, state channels we've spoken about a number of times, scaling Last solution, time. yeah, exactly, um so effectively, what we could do here is you can create a new contract at an address that can be determined ahead of time, so you don't sending a transaction to an address that doesn't exist yet creates a contract with uh, contract address which is kind of created based on the address of the sender and and things like that, but this one by Using an address that's predetermined, A and B can send something to an address C that they've agreed ahead of time will be later created. So you can kind of see how that's a scaling solution. Um, and the, okay, so the next one we've got EIP1283 S-STORE, or STORE if you're speaking Basilisk. So the proposal, the full name of which is gas metering for S-STORE without dirty maps. But basically it reduces the gas cost for the STORE operation. Its reduction enables multiple updates to occur within a transaction more cheaply. So you can kind of send things on without having to...
1: change the economics. Terms.
2: Yeah, changes the economics, yeah. We'll Last one's the one I care it. about, the 1234. Last one, EIP1234. How did they come up with that number? For I guess? was just it's thinking nice. that the
0: catchy names here, like memorable, snappy, good job. <laughs> this is the
1: one that everybody cares about, right?
2: 1234. Yeah, <laughs> so it's the, it's the block reward reduction. So instead of having three new F minted for every block production, there is now two, or there will be two. Uh, I think the it's been reduced by a third. Do we have a catchy name for it? It's called the Ferdinand, Colin. <laughs> yes. So the the obviously the block reward reduction is what everyone cares about. Also changes the economics of things. So the idea behind that is to kind of uh, in- increase scarcity. Is such a thing? increase scarcity. Yeah, you can increase scarcity. scarcity. Uh, but it's a, it's a scarcity move. So uh, because Ethereum doesn't have a cap on the maximum number of coins, unlike Bitcoin, um, the idea to reduce the number of new uh, Ether, the new tokens created, um, is encompassed in EIP1234. So long story
1: short, number should go up?
2: Number go up, Colin, yes.
1: So if I were the company that was somehow possibly quite central to these decisions and possibly publishing a blog on this and possibly a very large holder of, of the underlying, this would be something I'd be for, wouldn't it?
2: Well, it's been accepted by the community, so it looks like most people are for it, yeah. Uh, but the other thing in um, the other aspect to this EIP is the difficulty bomb delay. So that's... Cool name. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is a good name. Uh, unfortunately, it's just a sort of sub... Subsection of EIP1234. You- uh, the difficulty bomb delay, which will be pushed back for another 12 months, that's effectively something which is to encourage um, miners, so to speak, to move into a proof-of-stake chain and not... Proof,
1: How do you uh, encourage somebody that? that's in, like dropped a bunch of money into a specific technology to all of a sudden decide that they're going to use something that doesn't actually require that technology that they dropped a bunch of money into?
2: You're talking about mining? Yeah. Well, you can move your... ETH from the proof of work chain onto the proof of stake chain and then use the ETH that you have got to stake and therefore... But how do you find the the
1: electricity that you burnt to produce that through mining, which you're doing at a a loss? Well, the same as any
2: proof of work chain, really. Alrighty,
0: thank you very much, Sarah. I think we've all learned a little bit there. Lots of different pieces to the puzzle, Colin. Do you think this is going to happen in the end?
1: Uh, I think eventually the upgrade will happen. I mean, they're scheduled to do it in, in six weeks later, so in about a month's time. Um, we'll see. Uh, the, the question with all of these things is whenever you upgrade, there's always potential for this to happen. And it's not Ethereum specific. It's happened with many, many, many blockchains, including the Bitcoin blockchain uh, had to actually go back uh, a client version in 2013, I believe, uh, because of an
0: issue. Well, it will happen to many more, I'm sure, in the future. This is again, like you say, the issue with experiments. Uh, let's move to the next story, though. Again, it comes from the block. Um, was Bitcoin really manipulated? So, um, there's such a paper that's called uh, "Is Bitcoin Really Untethered," uh, where academics uh, John Griffin and Armin Shams, which is uh, just that sounds like he's in, he's into shams, um, which is which is quite weird. They investigated whether Tether uh, was used to manipulate the price of Bitcoin, and there'd been rumors about this one for quite some time. They found that purchases with um, USDT, um, so Tether, are timed following market downturns and result in sizable increase in Bitcoin prices. Um the article attempts uh, so this is an article from the block.crypto which is saying that oh, this paper is full of crap. I mean, do you, where do you stand on this Colin? Is USDT just used for market manipulation or is it actually a bit more complex than people think?
1: Uh I'm going to go with the second bucket. Um I mean there, there's essentially the original paper s- stated two things and the the case against Tether has been two things. First is um, Tether may not be backed. In theory, it's supposed to be backed one for one with the dollar. So there's a dollar in a bank account for every tether in issue. Um, so there is a theory that that may not be the case. And the other theory is, um, even if it were the case or, or tangential to that question, um, that these things are, are issued into the market with uh, in a way that is trying to beat what's actually happening in the market. So manipulating the price. So regardless of whether money's coming in or not, Somebody's putting this money out based off of what they know about the market that isn't necessarily public. Um, this article actually point or this uh, paper actually points out that a lot of what we've seen is quite normal. And it may or may not be uh, the case that Tether is backed or the Tether was used in a way to front run the market. Um, their opinion is that it's not. But really, it kind of boils down to in every other market, even when it is regulated, a lot of these are quite normal and explicable behaviors.
0: Yeah and I think that's the thing I mean many of our listeners work in financial markets and will will probably uh, align to the fact that this isn't rare behavior if you have any experience in in financial markets the other thing though is is, is there's a lot of questions more broadly i mean um it tether is one of the famous quote-unquote stable coins out there um generally stable coins still seem to be around as that thing that everybody's a little bit excited by or the silver lining in the blockchain space i know we've talked about it a couple of times but yeah is there something in tokenization and stable coins or are they still full of crap like should if i'm in an innovation department in a bank should i be trying to push my budget towards stable coins
1: I'm, I'm not a big fan of stablecoins, um, I'm, I'm writing stuff about that and I think it, it creates new kinds of attacks like our Ethereum discussion a minute ago, um, but uh, that's in a public proof of work, possibly even proof of stake blockchain, I don't know that we have enough data to say either way, um, it, it creates all kinds of economic incentives to steal. Um, putting something that we call a stable coin or whatever it is into a permission system, sure, why not? Um, the the economics of putting your name on the line and then trying to steal with your name out in the open uh, maybe changes that dynamic.
0: It does. I mean, we were talking to a bank uh, earlier this week Colin, who was who was quite interested in that concept, I think uh, you know they, they were a bit of a, a blockchain and DLT skeptic. But when you walk them through some of the rationale, it made more sense to them, and they were they were getting more interested. Do you want to talk a little bit about your, your rationale around that?
1: My, my rationale. Um, so I, I think if we kind of come back to what are the benefits of this notion of tokenization, um, the, it kind of stands out as as two things. Um, first is being able to have direct custody. And the second is um, whether we look at what you're putting in, in one of two buckets. Are we trying to take existing value in whatever that is and move it in a new way? Or are we actually creating a new form of value? Um, Bitcoin and Ether are very classical. They didn't exist before their blockchains existed. Um, as a result, they're they're new. That's a new opportunity that exists in the world. Um, is that something that's worth exploring? And then you bring up all kinds of ideas like utility tokens, which don't really exist in a more common uh, garden variety database, in theory, maybe they could, maybe they couldn't. Um, but coupling that with direct custody actually opens
0: up a lot of really interesting ideas. And if you want to learn more about that stuff, do reach out to simon11fs.com or of course colin11fs.com because I, I I really do think direct custody is when people start getting their head around what that actually means, things get things get pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, Colin, I'm going to move us on. Um, BIS.org, um, Beyond the Doomsday Economics of Proof of Work in Cryptocurrencies. So, this is a paper from the Bank of International Settlements. Uh, and the paper focuses on how Bitcoin and related cryptocurrencies verify that payments are final and irreversible once written to the blockchain, which actually I think is a bit of a misnomer because you've got no such thing as, well, settlement finality in a blockchain world is very, very different, right? Because you've got the confirmations thing going on. But anyway, that's a, a rabbit hole we won't go down. Um, it points to the high costs of achieving um, what they're calling finality via proof of work. And then it weighs the outlook for cryptocurrencies based on this algorithm um, and looks at a possible future avenues for progress. I mean, what were your thoughts on this paper, Colin?
1: I, I actually thought this was one of the best papers that I've read uh, from a major institution in financial services, uh, full stop, um, the, the the point you brought up there about settlement finality is actually one of the, the key things they pointed out and how proof of work is used to create um, what they called an operational or effective um, finality, which is probabilistic. It's been discussed for a long time versus what we're more commonly associated with just legal finality. Um, and, and, and why is that
0: important? So again, our markets listeners will know about legal finality, but some of the people who don't work in capital markets but are interested in blockchain might be interested.
1: Yeah, so essentially um, there's... Somebody told me, and I don't know the, the dynamics of it, but somebody told me a couple of weeks ago, there's three forms of legal uh, settlement finality. Um, I won't get into it because I don't really understand it. I'll be very honest with you. But essentially, it boils down to um, once, once um, you I've given you something, under no circumstances can I take that back. And that could be um, I can't necessarily legally take that back if I, if I decide you don't deliver uh, on your side of the story or if I were to default that somebody couldn't claim that back from you via me and I don't know what the third one is. But essentially that means once we've done our trade, we can't go back on that trade. Um, that's, that's quite an interesting topic when we bring it into blockchain, which operates in anarchy um, or at least Bitcoin does. Um, what they were looking at and saying is, at what point does it become just economically infeasible or uh, not at all worth it for me to try to go back and produce a double spend transaction to forcibly take that Bitcoin back from you? Um, so one of the findings he had in this paper was actually talking about Bitcoin's emissions. And this is something that was really interesting for me because I've been looking at this for a while and wrote a couple of blog posts about it. Um, but he pointed out that as Eventually, um, we have halvenings and the next one's scheduled in 2020, next year. Um, Eventually, there will only be six and a quarter bitcoins produced every 10 minutes instead of the current 12 and a half, which used to be 25, which used to be 50. Um, Eventually, this will tend towards zero, at which point only transaction fees should compensate miners. And he pointed out, well, this could create a a situation where actually it's conveniently cheap to attack and double spend that bitcoin that I sent to you. In which case, settlement finality goes from our current assumed one hour Uh, that we're pretty good on to possibly weeks.
0: And and that's pretty painful when you look at um, what you've seen with uh, Ethereum Classic where the cost of attacking that network was pretty low and we saw all the beginnings of 51% attacks Yeah, th- this stuff only works if there's uh, inflation uh, it, or, or in theory that's what they're saying here like if, if, if I'm printing a lot of new Bitcoin it's fine uh, which is why where Ethereum's gone with like they don't have a limit on the supply is kind of an, an interesting model because I sense they've, they've sort of seen this one coming but the question is can they make it to proof of stake um, so you know will Bitcoin go down as a really interesting experiment that didn't survive past its initial inflationary period. Um, it's, it's a fair yeah. question.
1: And and the author points out things like proof of stake and, and other ways like layer two solutions, which may be a partial answer to this. Um, but I think it was a really interesting way where he said, you know, let's not just call it doomsday. Let's look at what, what are some of the things coming up. Um, and does the Ethereum model or the Cardano model, I think, was parted out or Lightning Network model make sense in this?
0: yeah because that's the thing like you can poke holes in the economics of bitcoin relatively easily um especially if you come from an economics background but that's not where the the conversation's going as you were saying a moment ago um that sort of uh that when you tokenize assets and when you're changing the very nature of what it is to to custody an asset and transfer an asset um that may not require some of these economics or there's also a whole bunch of other things going on out there that are super interesting that may change this like um you know uh I think it was you that made the point, like you couldn't stream video on the internet in 95. It doesn't mean the internet's a bad idea. Mm so we'll see there's the space for this to go All right. um, speaking of uh, infrastructure that may change in the future um, this episode is brought to you by R3 Um, so they do a whole bunch of infrastructure stuff of course um, they work across a number of industries insurance, healthcare, pharma, automotive you name it Uh, and you can discover the potential blockchain for your business with R3's Corda platform Um, they offer privacy interoperability uh, integration and consensus and a bunch of mission critical features that every complex business needs including the world's only blockchain application firewall uh you can head over to r3.com for more info and whilst we're in the uh, the middle of the ad read um and thinking about all things old old todd mcdonald had a farm uh then eieio they've signed a partnership with ing ing ingo <laughs> there it is. Um, so this one's—it uh, looks like ING have uh, agreed a deal on using Corda Enterprise. So this is uh, kind of interesting because, again, uh, in this world in which uh, you know will the banks ever use DLT, uh, you've got to say that signing this deal is is kind of uh, kind of a bit of a watershed moment.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, you and I were there at the beginning of R three. What was really interesting to watch was it was kind of like. Um, R3, the company hadn't come together And then it was, you know, one bank signs, two bank signs Nine bank signs, 25 bank signs uh, Maybe this is the same thing where ING said Yeah, we're ready to take the leap And other people that were sitting on the fence go Well, if they've signed it off, maybe we need to like work forward Because maybe there's a, like 50 other announcements behind this Hopefully, I mean, good for them
0: Indeed. Good for them, indeed. Um, like uh, Next story. Speaking of whilst we're on, on all things enterprise, uh, for coming from the FT, Ford are going to use a blockchain, apparently, to trace coal, cobalt ma- mined in Congo. Jesus, what is with headlines this week? Uh, so <laughs> let me try that again. Um, let's leave all this in, because people have to know how hard it is to read headlines sometimes. Uh, I want you to feel my pain. Ford are going to use a blockchain in a pilot to trace cobalt mined in the Congo. Right. Um, Ford will use uh, their platform to trace supplies of cobalt from a Chinese-owned mine um, t- t- all the way to batteries in its electric cars, um, and they're going to use IBM and uh, Hyperledger Fabric. Um, does this remind you of any other uh, headlines recently, Colin, whereby people are going to uh, do things with uh, you know, kind of one big company comes out with a headline about one bit of the supply chain? It
1: felt like there was a large Danish shipping company.
0: Whatever yeah. happened to that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what about Walmart as well? They've got all of their uh, lettuces on a blockchain now. It, Wasn't I quite critical about those? Yeah, I think you may have had a may have had a bit of an issue. Um, although I, I still think um, good friend of the show Richard Crook has the best statement on this, which is: "There's only so much fun you can have with your own blockchain." Um, like. This is this is kind of the constant balance you've got, because on the one hand, we're talking about the public blockchains are still experimental, they're still hard to use. On the other, we're talking about everybody's tried to build their own blockchain, so you're not getting the network effects. You've kind of got this really interesting... Um, you're almost like walking through the jungle and and trying to navigate all of the reads to find the value in this subject still, because it's, there's so much going on and so much of it's useless. Hmm.
1: I mean, I obviously there is an issue here, there's there's human rights abuses and things are shipping from Congo through a Chinese owned mine uh, and getting to Ford and potentially issues in the middle. I, I'm just wondering if somebody hasn't stepped back and said, right, here's that's the issue, I've just framed it for you, um, what's the best way to, to get that visibility on supply chain, particularly the commodity, which is essentially how you read it in? Um, I would say you don't put it in a database and and sign off that I've received it here and there's essentially a chain of custody. It sounds like what the police do when they write that like on little plastic bags and like all the police TV shows, pretty sure they don't have a blockchain there. Um,
0: Well, yeah, true. But I I think, though, there are other ways to do a chain of custody. I mean, I think my understanding of uh, Kafka is it basically creates a log, right? So surely I have uh, Kafka managing a log of um, PKI signatures, and I could achieve this. Um, And actually, that would be remarkably efficient. Um, And I could probably build a really nice API for a whole bunch of services to plug into. Like, maybe there's a business to be made in competing with all of these blockchain pilots with just a really simple Kafka setup and a really beautiful API.
1: I could not disagree. <laughs> let's set up a VC for it. <laughs> like, yeah, like the anti-blockchain blockchain idea.
0: The anti-blockchain blockchain idea. If you're in a bank and you want to build the anti-blockchain blockchain idea, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know where to find us. All Cynical right, Capital. Story, <laughs> at cynicalcapital.com. We should own that domain, definitely. We should. Yeah. Alrighty, uh, next story comes from Coindesk. And apparently Binance are targeting uh, EU and UK traders with a new fiat crypto exchange. Um, So users will be able to trade uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum against the British pound and the euro. Uh, The exchange has has been working with government-backed economic development agency Digital Jersey to develop the exchange, uh, with the aim of being able to create around 40 jobs on the island. Binance Jersey is an independent entity from its parent, Binance.com, a crypto to crypto exchange built using the same technology. Interesting. Um, They've gone offshore. They're trying to get into the major currencies through an offshore jurisdiction. Nothing screams legitimacy like we're going to try and find a small offshore jurisdiction to try and get into a mainstream country from. Um, But there's going to be some demand for this, right?
1: Oh, there's totally demand from this. Um, What I thought was interesting was um, the way that when they made this announcement, you still had to comply with all your normal European uh, Union, KYC type uh, expectations, sending in pictures of your passport and moving around and all that great stuff. Like if you've set up on like a challenger bank. Um, So they still comply with that. So I guess it's not totally going off, but Jersey is one of those more projective uh, jurisdictions that you want to be in if you want to decentralize. And I think it was actually Binance saying we want to be a decentralized exchange that made me say uh, blockchains are very good for crime. Um, They're trying to create like a jurisdiction blockchain to decentralize their entities, at least seemingly
0: wow yeah it's it's kind of scary isn't it um so what's interesting is if you go back to the um original gaming industry and the gambling industry when it came to uh kind of going online in the the early 2000s they did use a lot of the european offshore jurisdictions and all of the british islands to be able to do that and depending who you speak to that was either a success or a scourge on humanity but it has become a regulated industry and that was one way in so you know this this is a, a proven path for industries to fight for legitimacy gradually um so you know let's hold a candle that maybe they do that and uh but there's an interesting question so i'm hearing a lot lately about um you know whether or not will the big banks help um some of the re- more regulated exchanges and fiat crypto exchanges with some of their fx needs um of which you could see if they're moving a significant amount of liquidity around why that might be attractive to a bank if they're regulated this may be a position for finance to have a regulated entity that a european bank could talk to going to be an interesting one to watch. All right, let's move on. Uh, Next story comes from Coindesk again. Um, Coming from the OECD, um, ICOs have financing benefits but aren't a mainstream option. So a report by the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, or the OECD, uh, thinks initial coin offerings may become a useful financing tool for small and medium-sized businesses. It adds ICOs are by nature not the right solution for every project and a differentiation should be made between blockchain-enabled projects and products and services and business is not built on DLTs. The former has a higher benefit of bene- has a higher potential of benefiting from an ICO. Interesting. Um, further, the OECD argues that ongoing regulatory uncertainties mean that companies may not want to trust the use of tokens and fundraising. Um, OECD of course uh, do a lot of work with uh, I guess every- countries outside the G20. Um, their reports are then translated into many other languages. And I guess if you're a policymaker outside the G20, and you've seen this blockchain thing happen, you've got a good question as to what should you do. So they're kind of in an interesting position. Um, It's also fair to say that um, with my other hat on as uh, one of the founders of Global Digital Finance, uh, we've worked uh, directly with the OECD, um, and they've been a good partner to us in in helping us build a code of conduct and helping educate some smaller jurisdictions in terms of, you know, what is this technology and what are of the risks. So I think it's good to see this report. Um, What were your thoughts when you saw it, Colin?
1: I I thought this kind of chimed with a lot of what you and I have been saying for the last year or so, which is basically like ICOs themselves are are probably garbage, or at least most of them are. Um, But there is that interesting thing of being able to um, pull in people from numerous jurisdictions, numerous walks of life to contribute to uh, kind of a global capital raising um, and I, I, then participate sorry. in that benefit.
0: So if I'm in a bank and I help uh, you know, mid-sized or larger corporates um, raise capital, um, you know, issue debt or whatever it is, uh, having another mechanism to do that would be pretty interesting. Having a mechanism where I could do that from greater pools of liquidity would be pretty interesting. How I do that may not look like issuing an ERC-20 token. In fact, I'm almost certain it doesn't. I think it sits somewhere between crowdfunding um, and crowd equity platforms and what investment banking has looked like for the last sort of 30 years. There's something in the middle of those two. I think it's a really exciting place to be. And I think the OECD are absolutely pointing that out. But of course, um, there's not just can you do it and how do you do it and is the demand there? Because I think in a a market where we're heading into a bear market, um, kind of in the mainstream markets where uh, credit is tightening again, it looks like we're coming into a credit tightening cycle. Small businesses are going to be the people that feel that the most. So how does a bank with limited balance sheet continue to lend? They've got to reduce their cost of lending. They've got to get better at managing risk. Um, they've got to get better at assessing risk uh, and a way in which they can see into uh, how these funds are deployed would be really exciting and the, you know the tech does allow us to do that but again if it's a token that uses uh, cryptography that's very different to it using uh, you know, being all the way in ICO those are, those are two different extremes absolutely
1: mm. I think I mean it's, it's just go back to the first principles I think there are really really interesting ideas coming out of this. Um, so let's not, you know, get ourselves into a frenzy of uh, ICOs bring absolutely nothing to the table. They surely bring a lot of very bad things to the table, but there are some very good ideas. And let's pay attention to those ideas in the same we were talking about earlier with, um, you know, what's the benefit of a token in general? Um, if we kind of piece all these things together, we've said it before. Uh, let's not ask ourselves, how, how is blockchain going to change or Bitcoin going to change what we do? Um, how are we going to change as a result
0: of these things? I think that's a fair point. I mean, it's, it's kind of an interesting observation that if you go back and listen to our shows during the bull run, uh, you'll hear us going, this is going to go pop. These things aren't as good as they look. And now during the bear market, we're like, hey, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater here. There was always something here. Let's just um, make sure we, we point out exactly where that is um already last story coming from coindesk uh wyoming have released a new uh bill which apparently would clear the way for crypto custody at banks um so wyoming may soon become the first state in the u.s to provide a clear banking permissions for cryptocurrencies and digital assets um so the state legislator's introduced sf125 to the government on Friday which if passed uh, would classify digital assets as property within existing laws interesting it would also establish an opt-in framework for banks to provide custodial services for digital assets as property directed custodians um, so you were talking earlier about um, how does a token uh, not only represent an asset but represent new value of custody um, what were your thoughts on on this particular bit of legislation and, and how is that play in the U.S. market context of you know federal and state level?
1: Uh, we've, we've talked about Wyoming a couple of times on the show. It's interesting to see that Wyoming is, is forward thinking and trying to allow new things. Um, and I know that uh, Caitlin Long, who's, uh, I guess, a, a Wyoming native, has been doing a lot of work. So bravo to her on that. Um, I I do question, though, if they're not kind of um, putting the cart before the horse in a lot of these things and just assuming that the future is going to look like this, where maybe they should just consider that, as we've been saying, all of it's an experiment. And the notion of banks offering custody may be kind of going the wrong direction. I mean, if we say, again, like we've been saying, uh, direct custody is the interesting thing, why not legislate this in a way where we could actually exploit that benefit rather than just saying, we have a framework, let's throw this all in the existing framework and just update the code so it says custom crypto instead of just property.
0: Precisely, yeah. I, I think that's a, kind of an interesting amendment. Uh, I I, I want to see if whether or not the banks will grasp this and uh, uh, and sort of set up a legal entity in Wyoming so they could be subject to that jurisdiction. And would you get the state versus state issues of when the New New York uh, DFS says, actually, and the New York Fed says, no, we don't like this, here's the banhammer. Um, and the New York and the banker lobby says, no, we don't like this. You know, to me, the upside to banks has to be clear of this. Um, and I would expect to see that if the banks were really buying biting on that upside and really seeing value in uh how they represent uh you know if they were able to custody a, a truly digital asset a natively digital asset or one that is tokenized um properly uh, then then that conversation would start to change
1: yeah i don't think this is going to have the effect that um a new york or a california or a delaware or an ireland or luxembourg would have
0: but Delaware became Delaware, you know, by by doing something at one point in time, right? Um, I think you, you can get there. So I, I can get the rationale, um, but um, they, they kind of need to start. It, it's not just passing the bill. It's having the people that would line up behind that and then want to do the work, right? Uh, I, I can pass all the laws I want. If nobody uses them, what was the point? Mm. Alrighty. Um, Some plenty of stories we didn't have time to cover this week. Um, Quick show, um, but uh, just running through some of them. Coinbase have hired a new compliance officer for their UK uh, operations. Overstocks, Patrick Byrne says T0 will launch next week. T-Zero, of course, has been the much-vaunted uh, kind of uh, the securities token exchange. So that's going to be an interesting one to watch. Uh, a blog from Bitmain uh, following a busy 2018. What can we expect in 2019? Uh, it'd be interesting to see if, if Bitmain is still around at the end of
1: 2019. <laughs> oh,
0: ouch. <laughs> <laughs> Break a mag. Um, Entourage's Kevin Connolly is developing a new show about crypto revolutionaries. Um Wow. Colin, any thoughts on that one? <laughs>
1: uh yuck. Um, <laughs> they said it in LA. Why'd they said it in LA? Like, I, but what I do appreciate is like, basically it's a bunch of useless people that just like want to scam people out of money. So it is probably not too far from the truth.
0: Yeah, I can see how there's probably been enough stories happening in crypto weirdo land in the last few years that you could make a TV show out of it, right? I mean, there's uh, some horror stories.
1: It just sounds pretty gross. Like when you read the details on it, I don't know. I, I won't be watching it.
0: All righty. Well, there's, there's a firm thumbs down from Colin next week on Colin Reviews. <laughs> <laughs> You're
1: going to force uh, me to do that, Simon.
0: <laughs> I am. Um, I'm going to force you. Uh, all right. It's time for Tweet of the Week. Tweet, 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 tweet. It's the Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week. Uh, Tweet of the week comes from Beam Privacy. Uh, Apparently, Beam's blockchain stopped at block 25709. We're investigating and we will release an update soon. Stay tuned. Wah, wah. (laughs) Do you
1: know what happened here? uh, I I don't know the technical details of what happened here, but I don't know if they know. This was was yesterday, early in the morning, our time. Um, So... Beam is is one of those new Mimble Wimble implementations, uh, like Wait, uh, what? Mimble Wimble. <laughs> okay, MimbleWimble. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, so yeah, we we talked about Grin, which is the alternative one on last week's show, uh, and mentioned Beam. Uh, Beam's gone been going on a little bit longer than than Grin. Um, uh, apparently, they just had some kind of issue, and they didn't really know why it stopped. But how does a blockchain just stop? Like uh, may, maybe some reentrancy bugs. Uh, <laughs> what what we add to this that makes it really interesting with with beam um, being that they're built around privacy is, it's supposed to be quite opaque that you can't really see what's going on, so I think that probably makes the fixing a whole lot harder.
0: <laughs> There's an irony there. Um, I guess privacy is such a huge issue, and you can see why. Uh, you know, in this day and age, people are looking at cryptography and privacy. But uh, if you were going to build unstoppable code and then it just stopped, um, that kind of suck. Um, <laughs> so that's no good. Um, build kind I, I,
1: of stoppable I, code.
0: Yeah, I think that um, conversation about, you know, the future of um, privacy and information sharing is going to be the real area that crypto, the world of quote unquote crypto starts to make its name more and more in the next six to 12 months. Because uh, it's it's such a massive issue and, and it's not been really nailed um, in a post Cambridge Analytical world. There's still so much to do.
1: Mm, absolutely. Uh, I'm looking at it. Apparently it was some kind of problem with UTXOs inside their wallet. Basically, they just screwed up on the code
0: and there was a bug. Well, i got to kill them bugs. All righty. Uh listeners just a quick reminder this podcast is brought to you by the fine fine folks at 11fs and we're a challenger consultancy working to shape the next generation of financial services Uh, we work directly with some of the world's largest financial institutions and some smaller ones uh, to deliver brand new digital products and services Um, and we're also of course looking at all things tokens so if you want to come have a chat um, get in touch Uh, i'm simon at 11fs.com or you can get colin at 11fs.com and if you want to hear more blockchain insider every single thursday well the subscribe button's right there um, and you can hear Colin say Mimble Wimble to your heart's content
1: Mimble Wimble
0: you see <laughs> and if you're already subscribed why not throw us a review uh, we understand you might not want to give 5 stars just because of how Colin says Mimble Wimble Mimble Wimble uh, <laughs> but nonetheless uh, give us 5 stars because it really really helps us out um, it's been an amazing show Colin uh, where can people find out more about you Mimble Wimble
1: <laughs> at Colin G Plaid on Twitter
0: and uh, you can find me at simon11fs.com or at sytaylor on twitter I just want to thank our amazing production team here at 11FS producer Petra and Alex Woodhouse our editor, thank you for listening i am more Blockchain Insider next week goodbye for now